So the classic uh, approach in Theravada, anyway, is to is in this way of of life, Buddha Dhamma, is about freeing the mind from obstacles and hindrances. So it's often couched in negative terms, just about clearing something away, rather than uh, in gaining something positive. You know. Sometimes it's put in a more positive sense, but, but often it's much more negative sense, clearing clearing the negative. Uh, it may seem as if there's nothing positive <laughs> in Buddhism at all. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it <laughs> isn't really that way. <laughs> we had to live it, do it to, to, to find out. It actually does make the mind joyful and, and uh, deep and resourceful and so on. But of course the, one of the snags is when you start to conceive of the positive, then you know, we want to reach out for that and grab hold of it or we can try and define it. You recognize the, the, you know, the, the summation of the Buddha's way isn't really definable, you know, clearly. You know, it's because it's kind of beyond words and concepts, so it's difficult to really wrap some ideas around it. But we can say it's free from this and free from that. There's no suffering, no stress, no basis for suffering. Not just no suffering in the present, but no possibility of that arising. You know, the, 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 un- the underlying um, potencies of attachment are gone. <clears throat> so when we do get a clear space, it's important to to you know, use that sense of clarity or ease or well-being to examine. Not you know we may not be suffering very much in the present, but still realizing that if we don't take advantage to to see through the basis of from which suffering can arise, then. Um, you know, we've we've kind of wasted a golden opportunity. The basis really is sense of substantiality to things. You know, the gettableness of things, the idea that we could gain something or need to gain something, have something, be something, become something. Sense of self. These are all, you know, themes you're probably familiar with. But you just keep checking into what is it that generates sense of self and substance and the answer actually is sankharas which are which is basically a great answer maybe <laughs> you don't know what sankara is <laughs> but it's these kind of um, you know these internal they're internal for a start you wellings up we, you can pers- uh, ideas, images, impressions arise moods and energies rise up. So this kind of welling up of a kind of psychophysical energy is a sankara. So you can see your thoughts come welling up. Uh, not, you can't say even permanent thought, but it seems that the thought stream seems permanent because it's always carrying, it's like a river, always carrying various bits and pieces of thought, even when the thought particular topics of thought aren't there there can be this thoughtfulness sense of considerateness that's the sankara 
And as long as that isn't un- really understood to be something that can't actually provide what it pretends to provide, which is clarity, knowledge, you know, you know, truth, it doesn't provide, the intellect doesn't provide that. It provides ones with relative truths, opinions, views, you know, things that fit according to the way we measure it. But as you can see, measurements as human beings develop over centuries, you discover that the, the golden truths of science 500 years ago are fuddy-duddy antiquated theories, you know, nowadays, because you, your measuring has changed. You know, so you can't do it. But there's a wish for that truth or clarity or, you know, why? Human faces feel more settled, more secure. You know, maybe there's other things. Then, of course, there's also the um, the sankara of the heart, which is to do with these um, perceptions, which means these images and memories we have, ability to, you know, have a word come into our mind, a little image comes up with it, and these images are generally carry emotional tones, pleasant, unpleasant. The images are not as clear as thought, but they're tremendously poignant. You know, as you remember somebody you knew 20 years ago, and boom, there they are with a particular emotional tone or flavor to it. And it's like, uh, the heart is always doing this, bringing these, these things up, so it's emotive. It, it doesn't so much speak, it sings. It sings blues, and it sings ballads, and it sings jazz, and it sings rock, and it sings, you know, kinds of different tunes. And they're very uh, uh, entrancing. Mm. Does anyone's heart sing reggae? <laughs> but so you know this is the sankara of the heart the chitta sankara the perceptions and feelings yeah. Yeah. and they trying to make us feel satisfied felt heard mm. even the sad ones are kind of asking us to feel feel flooded by them. <coughs> They're looking for a sense of, uh, you know, to be possessed by something, to fill us up. And yet they never quite do. We get flooded and the floods, you realize the, the inner perceptions can't, the outer realities can't match those inner perceptions. You know, it's like when you, you know, and you kind of fall in love, you have this tremendous kind of inner thing, and you think the outer person's going to meet that. And for a while, it kind of gets pretty close, and then it starts to, oops, no, not quite, and then it goes wrong, and then you feel hurt and blamed and accused, and where it happened, well, <laughs> it doesn't quite work like that. You know, if you want to live with somebody, you've got to get beyond these perceptual flushes to something a bit more realistic which is just hard work, or work anyway. (laughs) 
but it is tremendously powerful because of that basic sense in which some perception, some mood, some image would actually really fill us and, you know, be there and, you know, and it, and it, there's a kind of hunger, thirst, and it can't do it. So the more we begin to, you know, sense this. So one is more dispassionate, less convinced by the Sankara sing song. The two two um, themes in meditation is samatha, which is that which dispels uh, passion, and vipassana, that which dispels ignorance. You know, the two go together passion, raga, and ignorance, avijja, not seeing. So these two, this is what we practice and we call, we call meditation. It's practicing like this. <coughs> and your, your kind of basic uh, first big trial is the five, called the five hindrances, which are the, 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 the way actually you, you know you, you start to meet the dysfunction of the sankara the way they don't work you start to meet this this kind of disturbance which comes up in these five main headings karma chanda sense desire which is also another one called abhijja which means covetousness or you know wanting things whereas karma is much more associated with just uh, sensuality often sexuality and then uh, ill will, Vyapada, which is a sort of turbulent, sour quality. Uh, and then, hmm, um, what's your favorite hindrance? Tina Mida is a good favorite, or Tina. And this is this sort of thick, torpid state, whereas mind is not, is dull, but also unwilling. It's like it's not just a lack of energy, it's a sort of <coughs> unwillingness. To to uh, you know to to put to br- to put forth any energy, kind of bored, you might say, bored, apathetic. So even when one isn't sleepy, you can have this kind of bored, apathetic attitude to whatever we do, or dragging our heels, doing things in a half-hearted way. And in meditation, this is pretty fatal because when you're sitting still and you're not really interested, then certainly you're going to go. The whole thing's going to go topsy-turvy. Because if you're not interested, then um, naturally the heart's going to bring up something to get interested in. Namely sense, desire, or ill will. <laughs> you know, so they do support each other. Uh, another, another hindrance, um, restlessness, fidgety, worry and flurry is a nice way of looking at it. These ones can't put something down you know you think something through and you pick it up again you chew it like a terrier you know worrying about it worrying a rat chewing it over you can't spit it out and you can't swallow it either fidgety restless mind um, popping from here to there here to there trying to find a place to land never does 
and then um, doubt, which means a, a sort of wavery, wavering, havering, inability to make a commitment. You know, for, for ten minutes, you know, just a really, this is it. It's always trying to find a piece of of land, but doesn't know where to land. It's trying to find a, perhaps um, certainty in a thought. <coughs> or certainty in things that aren't certain yet. Mm. We can't say, well, that's not certain. We've got to try and find it. There's a kind of almost lack of, lack of confidence in, in doubt, where you can't, haven't got enough trust in yourself to, to say, well, we don't know, but I can be with that. Mm. Yeah. So these obviously are a big hassle for one's mind whether one's meditating or not meditating, they're, they're, they're pain and disturbance and blemish. And based upon these, all kinds of activities occur which cause pain and irritation for others. Interestingly, the things that aren't classified as hindrances are actually things like, like anger. Um isn't called a hindrance. Fear, interesting. Fear isn't, a hin- isn't one of these called nivaranas. And uh, sadness isn't a hindrance. Feeling terribly sad isn't a hindrance. Depression isn't a hindrance. Um, and uh, obviously these are uh, difficult experiences. But my, my sense is actually these are a bit deeper than the hindrances. They refer to, and in fact, you know, lust itself, basically sexual energy, uh, is much deeper, well, embodied sense, than a hindrance. Such a, you know. So it's not that these aren't problems or problematic, but they're, they're a slightly different level. Obviously... Um, because you can see these are kind of fundamental bodily energies that bodies have. Anger is our ability to defend ourselves. You know, everything from a, a mouse on up, or perhaps even beetles, will rear up <laughs> to protect their young or whatever. You know? So you get that kind of sudden tremendous rallying of, of, of possible violence, you know. So that kind of goes along with having a body. Fear, if you didn't have fear, you wouldn't live very long. Bodies, you have to have fear to, to keep a watchfulness. So those seem very, very basic body things. Um, sexual energy, well, pieces wouldn't live, survive very much without that happening. Body being flooded with that kind of uh, hormonal juice and um, sadness is kind of a mammal thing, I think. You know, from a development, you know, even elephants and uh, other animals definitely get sad at uh, death of their kin. You know, we mourn cows, you hear them crying when they take the calves away. Crying the sheep. You know, it's definitely very basic stuff. I only mention that because um, 
you know, these these are just the way they are. But what we can, what the problem is, that we end up getting angry when there isn't any need to. You know, it's the perceptual trigger. You know, so uh, that's that's the that's the ignorance. It's not that we shouldn't be able to procreate. You know, that's <laughs> but it's getting triggered when you actually it's not relevant, not appropriate. You've decided, you know, this isn't what you want to do anymore. And yet it's still getting triggered, you know. Um, or, or feeling defend yourself. There's actually nothing to defend. Nobody's attacking you. you know? So we get this rage, anger over that, and uh, so on. Fear. You know, we can uh, fear can be quite a useful thing if you're standing on the edge of a cliff. You know, to have that sense. But a lot of the time, you're not. Uh, what's happening? You know? So th- it's the perceptual triggers, you know, the images, the ideas, the impressions that trigger these things that really are the are where the where it's ignorance or or, or, or raga passion. Actually, you want to be fired up. Something in you wants to be sexually aroused because it's flooding and it's filling and it's it kind of it's not boring anyway. <laughs> You feel kind of potent and alive with that kind of energy. So, um, mm. so why you really do need the both? Because these, these, you know, to to you're going to feel happy enough. You know, this is what samatha does. It makes you feel comfortable enough, easy enough to actually not want to be flooded with uh, with passion. You know? And uh, makes you feel comfortable enough. You're not on edge, so you're much less irritable. Whatever happens is kind of like, well, no, because uh, you're not so edgy. Mm-hmm. So this is somewhat a very useful practice. It's not the end of the story by any means, but it's a very useful thing to just come out of the the you know the raw nerve energy where one's getting triggered in this way. Raga, that's the in word for those Indian scales, is wonderful, evocative music. Also, the English word rage. So, it's this kind of flooding, evocative, flooding quality sense. So, with Samatha, I think the first things you, you work with is just uh, the, the dullness and the fidgetiness. This, you know, physical discomfort and and dullness. You can feel really like you're all totally sold out, bushed, completely, fl- you know, shot away, tired, slowly in sleep, you know. Then something interesting happens and you feel suddenly wide awake. What happens to the sleep? <laughs> you know, come to the midnight drink, you're 11, 11.45, you're kind of, oh, turgid. You come midnight drink and there's, chocolate, tea, and people chatting suddenly perked right up. So it wasn't, you know, the, the, it wasn't just the bodily need, it was a mental falling away, you know. You know, somebody starts talking about football, you wake up. So that, that uh, 
there's, you know, when we start to see some of this, how you can feel sleepy all day long, day after day, it's not really a biological need for sleep. The mind isn't, is, is not act- activated. You know? So you need to activate for that. Activate, steady activate, persistently activate. It means inquire, it means move around the body, it means stand up, it means walk, it means basic things like that. It means question, it means just get the mind, gives the mind something to do, that you can do, not too refined, something you can do, you know, where's my hand, where's my foot, where's my hand in my back, you know, checking the posture. So we don't do that. It's some kind of belief system that says this is a hassle, it's a waste of time, so I don't need to do that. I think you you know, shooting yourself in the foot really. Don't wanna do it when the dullness takes over. But dullness is not samatha, it's not calm, it doesn't lead to samadhi, it just leads to dullness. <laughs> and maybe eventually, you know, something to get excited about. So, you, you know, activate is the simple word, in a skillful way. You don't have to think of meditation as being something sitting still all the time. You know, just sitting in a Dhamma hall. It's talking about a way of life, of healing, cultivating the mind, taking interest. And sustain it, not just a flash of interest, but holding it over a whole sensation or a topic of thought. Look at cause and effect. Look at results of the way you think, the way we react. Study yourself. So, you know, that's vipassana, really, or that's the beginning of vipassana, is inquiry. So part of that, you know, medicine, you might say, is the, is the finding a, a good energy that will actually keep you awake, keep you bright, posture, the walking, steadiness of the body, breathing in and out, Mantras, something that's got an energy in it that's that's steady, that well, it's brightening, and then inquiring, which is the beginnings of vipassana, using inquiry. Restlessness, just soothing the nervous system, and uh, sometimes just spreading energy around your body. Now, this this is um, what this means is is when we See, you bring your, you bring your, when you start to connect to your body with the tension, particularly the breath energy, the channel of that, the feeling of what happens when you breathe in and breathe out, you connect to that, then you just bring your awareness to different parts of your body. The energy will move there. It doesn't happen like a flash, but it will gradually move there. So you're sitting, breathing, and then just, connecting to your back, smaller back, 
keep breathing through your back is what we say as a colloquial expression as you feel breathing just focus on the back focus on the small of the back focus on the centre of the back focus on the back of the neck stay there and keep doing that and it was certainly over time over a few minutes that will start to brighten up focus, spread it across your chest get awareness of the whole of the chest across the span of the chest you know, from one armpit to the other armpit, across the breasts. How, do, how does it feel? It's kind of widening. And over time, a few minutes, that will should brighten up. You may find little places where it's blocked, and that's that's useful. You start to see some of the, you know, the places where there's a, there's a tension. When you find a place where it's tense, see if you can just kind of massage that place with your awareness softening, relaxing, how would it be without this, and so forth. So that, again, gives your mind something to do, so it absorbs some of the restless energy. It also, um, by widening and, and providing more satisfying, all-over sense, that fidgetiness finds a place to, to settle. That's samatha. Mm-hmm. When you clear these two, or these two are no longer oppressing the mind, then the resource that's there is uh, capable of providing the kind of groundedness and well-being that makes the other hindrances uh, much more rare, much less able to find a footing. You still get in there, but um, you could, uh, you've got something else to go to than the uh, dazzle or the uh, conviction of thoughts or the dazzle of perceptions. Vipassana is, is this sense of looking into what is this, what's this, what's this experience about? So we start to, you know, um, step back from a thought process. What's this doing? What's happening here? Where's it going? Is it providing anything? Is it finding anything? Where's it coming from? Mm-hmm. Look at cause and effect. Most obvious is, is the effect cause is more difficult because it's happened so you don't know quite where it came from you see the effects are you know, the mind is agitated or the mind is stuck feel the effects of um, your will um, and you know, Buying into those perceptions, particularly if one has turned one's anger energy, one's anger energy is poured out through that channel. I remember some years ago meeting somebody who'd been an anagarika way back, way back, you know, he'd had quite a lot of difficulties. 
with me which you know you may think is not surprising really <laughs> but uh, it was quite surprising because I actually wasn't really wasn't doing anything apart from sitting meditating uh, so I wasn't kind of being particularly domineering or whatever that I can be have been um, or forceful so I was quite surprised and there was something really insane about it all you know because he's just blowing up coming to room just seeing me just blowing up you know with with anger and didn't know couldn't get any idea what it was about was kind of really possessed with it and so anyway time went by and I sort of just realized he'd just been lost it you know and uh, for a while it just for my mind it just kind of finished dropped but I remember seeing him 20 years afterwards and he'd finally found out what it was about that somehow I'd reminded him in some way of a brother his brother but he didn't he hadn't seen it before taken 20 years to see the cause of that but for 20 years he'd had this this bad feeling of having acted whereas from you know so for myself it'd been painful and upsetting but after you know, a little while it dropped away. But for him, having acted on it, it took 20 years or so <laughs> to actually, you know. So, uh, yeah, that's. And I didn't hold any ill will towards him because we all lose it. But so it's like that, isn't it? The, the effects of one's outpourings when we act upon them. Sexual desire, you act upon that. Enormous consequences on self and for others. You know, whole, and it's amazing. You know, you see how powerful this this hormonal energy is. That uh, you know, the amount of pain is caused through through sexuality. You know, the the adulteries, the the quarrelling, the jealousy, the competing, the cheating, the lying, <laughs> the heartbreaks, you know, let alone the diseases, the rape, you know, the betrayals through this particular and yet still people will kind of go you know, the fear of getting taken to taken to pieces by the by your lover's husband <laughs> if she finds out and still guys will still do what they can, <laughs> you know, like really blind uh, energy, you know, and uh, the amount of pain, and yet people will still go for it. It's like a, a uh, like uh, a drug, you know. You see, animals can't actually have no ability to to hold that back at all. For, and when you see animals, you think it's either comical or embarrassing. See, so they kind of. <laughs> kind of do it to oneself it seems quite romantic and wonderful (laughs) (laughs) I mean that's there's something you kind of put those two together geez something really powerful is happening here that one level something can be so kind of sort of uh, dangerous and fearful and comical and the other level so amazingly attractive shows you 
this is this is this is a big thing. This is not uh, uh, wisdom in this. <laughs> it's not not a decision. <laughs> it's certainly not a clear decision. It's just a potent energy. But what we can do is start to to at least acknowledge this and then check the perceptions that trigger it. You know, what's the effect of playing with those perceptions? You know. You bring one into your mind for five seconds, you're stuck with it for ten hours. <laughs> you know? You start to, you know, develop that around a particular person, then that's gonna stay there for years. You know, with all the kind of frustration and pain and problems around it. So it's the perceptions the effects of them. The effect of buying into any perception is is uh, uh, confusion, loss of loss of freedom. This is the result. So you look at cause and effect. You look at effect, cause. Why? What's this? Where does this come from? It doesn't come from a rational decision. You don't, you know, perception doesn't arise from some place of understanding. It arises out of this um, ground of unknowing, ground of, of ignorance, you might say, of not being clear. This is not the sense of stability, certainty in openness, certainty in emptiness, comfort with that. This is kind of pushing, welling up. You, you know, you choose a perception, pick up a perception like food, a fairly harmless one that we can get excited about. Food. Summertime in the woods, being out on a nice sunny day in the woods. Okay, then boom, there it goes. And then, but where does it, try to get, when you do it deliberately, seeing the place, just when it's about to, where does it arise? There's a sort of gathering in, isn't there? There's a feeling of, uh, and then there's a gathering in. Like it's ready to spring. And then suddenly all the elements come rushing together. The feeling, the hunger, the feeling, you know, the illumination. Then the, the pictures come flooding in. You try to keep pushing the mind back to the place of arising. and steadying, stabilizing the mind. It's like when you exercise coming back to the beginning of a thought, which may be easier. You know, deliberately think or you come back to the beginning of a thought. And there's a kind of openness and then when you try to deliberately think, sometimes you can't think. But there's a sort of a, a gathering in and a, a little flurry. Something is tickled to, to potentize a thought out of this thought, thoughtful potential, potential for thoughtfulness. Something tickles it. That's the trigger. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, when is that 
requirement, when is it craving, thirst to be tickled, the need to be tickled. When we come back to that place, it is possible to sense I don't need to be tickled. You know, you, it's coming back to that time and time again. And uh, again, this isn't something that happens snap, finger snap, but repeatedly. It's a very nice way to meditate, just to keep bringing your attention back to the beginning of a thought, bring your attention back to the beginning of a perception. So, for example, if we're in the latter case, if you're focusing on breathing, you get the, where does the sensation arise? Not in your body, but your recognition of the sensation. You can sense the sensation. It may feel bright or rough or smooth. And notice that the, the recognition is always just the trace behind the actual sensation. So it's, it's coming out of that. This is ordinary perception. It's not deluded. It's just ordinary. That's the perceptual process. It's, it's, a, it's, the, it's the wake. It's in the trace of something that's just been stirred. You come back to the place of stirring there isn't actually a perception there. There's no such thing as an accurate perception. It's always a rendition of something. Mm. So this, this is, Vipassana is much more using the real sharp end of attention, pointed, and uh, my personal sense of that is before you can do that, you have to have a system kind of opened up and calm enough and easy enough to be able to penetrate the, these these places. So samatha. Of course, just basic inquiry into um, you know coming to acknowledge there are such things as hindrances. You might say, what the beginning to recognize there is such a thing as suffering that one is generating. You might say this is the beginnings of vipassana, of banya, of understanding, and that one has some say over it. Mm-hmm. It's not just has to be that way, but we do have some say over it. Then this is the clearing of doubt and the arising of confidence. I may not be able to right now, you know, take full command of that, full benefit of that, and yet, but there is that possibility. And this, to me, is, gives one the sense of eagerness, encouragement, keeps the mind eager, interested. There's, there's a way through this. I'm not as stuck as I seem to be. Things are not as embedded as they seem to be. There's this possibility for freedom, and this is where it is. In dispelling these five hindrances, we learn a lot 
about the constructions, the constructed nature of what upsets and absorbs us, can upset and absorb us, um, and this, the encouragement to cultivate these tremendously beneficial skills that we can do and will take us out. I think the only thing to really say about some of the person is be careful not to, avoid, to mistake the process for the technique. There are all kinds of techniques, I'm sure, that can lead you into these processes. But look at it simply. Some of them mean steadying, bringing around some well-being, some sense of ease, basic ground. doesn't mean you're blissed out, but basically stable. Whatever you do, sense of clarity, firmness, composure in what you're doing, being with it, taking a bit of time with it, feeling it more fully, pulling aside things that just are wearing, pointless, not useful right now. Vipassana, sense of inquiry. What's this based upon? What's the purpose? What's the results? Where does it come from? And you carry these two themes into the way of life, then my sense is that you know, all of life, as life as a certainly as a Dharma practitioner, can be lived fully through that perspective. And the particular personal shape and techniques that we we use come out of that understanding what's going to work for me what's going to work with this situation what's going to work in this karmic predicament what's going to play into where my strengths and steadiness are what's going to help me with the places where I'm definitely you know need a lot of need some support and this makes it all interesting it's really not a technique it's a way